this is Chad, that is Kenan, and we are here with Take Two. The two of us are going to take a few minutes and talk a little bit about last week's sermon. Uh, that's kind of our, our thought here as we delve a little bit deeper into things. And last week was all about hope, which is why I have my fun little uh, Jordano Ventura bobblehead here. Uh, I talked a little bit about on Sunday the fact that I understand hope more than some people because of the sports teams that I have cheered for in the past. Uh, being a huge Kansas City fan uh, is great because there have been times that they've been awesome and more times than not, they just have not been. And so we truly know what it means to hope. Uh, and we talked a little bit, little bit about that this last Sunday. And I kicked off in John 1. Uh, and the prologue to John, which is in these first 18 verses uh, here of John chapter 1, um, it begins with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. Now, I know that passage itself is significant to you, Ken. And talk to me a little bit about that. It is. Um, the word that is used for word in, in John 1 is the Greek word uh, logos, it looks like logos, but um, I've been told by smart people it's pronounced logos. So I probably mispronounced it. I'm sorry, all the Greek people in the world. Um, but that's a, that's a word that has such great meaning um, in this passage, I think. If we look at um, rhetorical uh, arguments, you, you've got logos and you've got uh, the others. I'm not college educated. Uh, and they, they all represent different ways of, of bringing people around to your thought process. Pathos is one of the, one of the three. And you have, you have ways to make them engage with what you're saying by connecting with an emotion. That's, that's pathos. You, know, you understand this emotion that I'm feeling, and therefore you can agree with what I'm saying. Uh, another one um, is the third one that I can't remember. Ethos. See, you know things. He's more educated than I am, which is a fact. Uh, and that's, that's bringing people around to what you're saying in a, in a completely different way. But logos is the word that we get our word logic. And it, it, it comes around to the idea of you're bringing people around to what, you, what you're trying to say uh, through a logical, fact-based uh, fact uh, argument. And so, another way that we can think of that is that when you're thinking about Logos, you're thinking about the reason behind what you're trying to say. And so, in John uh, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Logos. And the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. Or we could think of, in the beginning was the reason. The reason behind everything. And the reason behind everything uh, was with God, and the reason behind everything was God. And then it even goes further. And the reason became flesh and dwelt among us. So not only we have the Old Testament and the New Testament, a lot of times people think that the New Testament or the New Covenant or Jesus coming to, to free us from the law uh, or fulfill the law is because God had made a mistake. No, no, no. In John, it clearly states that Jesus was the reason for all of this and that he was the reason not only at the beginning of John, but from the beginning of time, and that this was a, a planned out thing. I just think it's a, a beautiful way of 
of explaining the gospel. I, I do, and I think that one of the things that's significant about this canon is we really begin to look at what it means to have hope, because we talk about how the word, that logos, is what gives us the potential for hope. And if I understand that God knew before creation what creation was going to do, it gives me a much greater understanding of who he is. God didn't create Adam and Eve, set them down in this perfect, ideal situation, and then get surprised when they chose sin. At no point was he ever surprised by that. Uh, which I also think is funny, because a lot of us, when we live our life, we're like, well, you know, I, I, I could never do that, because that would disappoint God, or that would shock God, or that would, well, can I tell you that there's nothing you can do that's going to shock him, because he knows. He, he knows the decision you're going to make before you've made it, because he is everywhere at all times. He's not limited in the ways that, that we are limited. And so, before he had formed creation, he knew that creation would rebel against him. Now, just speaking as a, as a dad, okay, I had an idea or a concept that at times my children would be disobedient. I had no clue what that would really be like. like I had no clue that there were times that your kids can say things to you that, like, hurt at a, at a deep emotional level. And they're just responding out of their immaturity. They're responding... Um, just out of their, their feelings in the moment or whatever they, they might be experiencing, it's not necessarily something that they are intending to do. But I understand the hurt that comes from something that, that I helped create as part of God's plan, rebelling against me. And when we think of the level that creation has rebelled against God, it would be so easy for us to think, well, obviously this was, this was just a mistake. No, it was not a mistake. God intended to send his son to be the provision for us from the beginning of time. And when you look at it and you use that word, that logos, that logical reasoning for what goes on there, it begins to make sense. This was not an emotional knee-jerk reaction to what mankind had done. This was a logical, reasonable, thought-out process for how God would restore creation back to a right relationship with him. And ultimately, that's what brings us hope. True. Um, now, we've been talking about hope uh, from the sermon. Now, one thing you said in the sermon was that hell is the lack of God's presence. And to tie it into your sermon, you said, in fact, it's not just the lack of God's presence, but it is a place that is entirely without hope. That's right. When, when I meant by that, it's not that that's the only thing that describes hell. The Bible is, is very clear about things that are going to be present there. Um, it's it's going to be hot, you know, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, but it's also very clear about the things that will be absent from there. And to me, what makes hell horrific is not how hot it's going to be. It's not how tortured I might be by, by those physical kinds of things that we would think of. When we think of torture in today's terminology, you know, we think of, you know, the, the horrific things that have happened during times of war and the ways that people have been tortured and stuff like that. 
But what will be truly horrifying about hell is that God will remove his presence from that place. There are times in the day and age that we live that we think things are hopeless. We think things are difficult. We have no concept of what true hopelessness is because we are still surrounded by God's presence. I've heard heard some people even say that it's not just the lack of God's presence, which some people say, oh, God is everywhere, and so how can hell be a place without his presence? I've heard it also described as it's a place without God's intervention. Absolutely. God is no, God, it says that he chooses to remove himself so that he is not going to interject himself on people's behalf in that situation. He is going to allow them to suffer the consequences of the choices and decisions that they've made. And that key choice and decision that is placed in there is the rejection of the reason, the rejection of the word of Jesus. And so because that that presence of God is removed, then that hope, that personification of hope is removed. Um, and, you know, I, uh, I, I deal in the sports world all the time, which is why I have fun with this guy right here. And what's so amazing to me is sometimes there's a game where a team is losing by one run, and it's only the third inning, and yet it feels like that team has absolutely no hope. They've already made up their mind. The game's over. We're going to lose. We might as well cash it in. And uh, one of the things that was so fun about watching my Royals a few years ago is there were times when they were down five, six, seven runs. Like, they should have been done. They should have had no hope. But they just kind of had this feeling, man, I, I feel like we can climb out of this thing. And there were some games where they were down to their last out, and they were still down by multiple runs, and they came back and won those games. Because the power of hope is unbelievably real. Hope is what gives us the ability to go above and beyond ourselves. Hope is what allows us to see through circumstances and situations to the possibilities of what might be. And it's the reason that I believe in this God With Us series that the first piece of that was understanding that God with us brings hope. A, a lot of uh, teams are known as second-half teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few of my teams, the Cardinals, have been known as a second-half team. Absolutely. The uh, Kansas City, Kansas City, Kansas Jayhawks mm-hmm. from the University of Kansas, yep. second-half team. So I'm, But that wouldn't be possible without hope. That's exactly right. The, the moment that we begin to shut hope off in our mind is the moment that things begin to fall apart. And so hope is so vital to living the life that we're called to live. Right. Now, we've been talking about hope, but also this, the name of the series is God with us. This guy's staring at me. <laughs> I am staring at the man. I am staring at the man. Ah, no reference. Um, God with us mm-hmm. is the name of our series. And you said one of the things that gives us hope is the fact that we are not the lead characters in our own story. This isn't the Kenan story, this isn't the, the Chad story, this is God's story, which kind of ties back into our sermon, his story yep. uh, that we did uh, last month, mm-hmm. month before. But that fact that we're not the lead characters is something else that gives us hope. Yeah, and unfortunately for many of us, we have become so self-absorbed that we begin to think it's, it's all about us. 
And sometimes we don't even necessarily think of that in selfish motivation. You know, but I read a, a guy this last week, and he made this statement. He said that for a follower of Jesus Christ, we are not the main character in our own story. So if, if I were to, to really take that to its extreme, if I were to write an autobiography, okay, Chad Ozy would not be the central character. Well, that doesn't make sense in the world we live in. An autobiography is something that that person writes about themselves. Or if you were to write a biography of me, I would want Chad Ozy to be a secondary character, not the primary character. It, the, the story should be about God and what he's doing and, and how he is working in and through my community and my family and my friends and how I get to be a part of that because of my relationship to him. Uh, and, and for many of us, we don't like that. I, I have friends of mine, you know, they want to know what, what legacy are they leaving to people? How, how are they doing something that's going to leave a mark? You know, you go to, to big expensive buildings and there's bricks outside where people who gave a certain amount of money have their name etched into that brick because they helped give that on a college campus or wherever it might be. And the reason we do that is because we want our identity to last. We want our mark to be left beyond us being here. But what's amazing is that the mark that I need left here is not Chad's mark. I need God's mark left here. I need his story being told. Um, and in fact, if you give enough money, they even name the whole building after you. That's true. That will never be an issue for me. <laughs> I, I will never have that right. kind of catch. Maybe I can scrounge together enough for a brick someday, but probably not for the whole thing. And then it becomes such a, a controversy when somebody else gives even more money and they rename the building, therefore removing that person's yeah. legacy. Exactly. And, and I just think, for me, as I'm beginning to think about hope, if... If this is supposed to be the Chad story, I'm going to be real honest with you. I know Chad better than anybody. Stu, there are a lot of days that there's not a lot of hope that comes just from being Chad. Um, there's not a lot that I can bring to the table that's going to bring hope to other people. But through my relationship with Christ, I am tapped into the ultimate hope that anyone could ever experience. Fun side note. So... The university that I, I went to, Union University in Jackson, Tennessee. Not that he's proud at <coughs> their sporting committee. <laughs> Jokes. Um, had been saving up money for a long time to build a library. And finally, um, a couple gave something like $20 million to the project. Fantastic. The, the library was built. And when they were talking about what to name it, um, the, the people in charge of, of giving said, hey, we should name it after you. And they said, no, we want it to be named uh, something else, not after us. And they were humble in that way. Guess what they named the library? What? The Logos. Nice. <laughs> See, it all comes full circle. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. All right. But back, back, to, back to business. Gotcha. Uh, the last thing that I would like to, to talk about, about the sermon, you had left everyone... Um, at the church with a thought to think about throughout the week and, and mull over and, and figure out what to do with it. And that thought was, this season is not about the lights, it's not about the gifts, it's not about any of that, it is about hope. When, when we look at what 
Christmas really means. To me, there are huge parts of the way that we celebrate Christmas that are very meaningful, and I'm not trying to downplay those at all. Uh, my family will gather together and we will do stuff on Christmas Eve because that's when we like doing things, mainly because we're impatient people and wait until Christmas morning to open gifts, that's too much. So we'll do it on Christmas Eve. Uh, and we'll gather together and we will, we will give gifts to each other that show each other that we, we care about them and we love them and that they're important to us. We'll eat meals uh, that are significant. Um, you know, where there's certain dishes that, that we like. You know, it wouldn't be Christmas Eve meal if we didn't have this or whatever that might be. Um, we will, uh, because we're kind of weird and nerdy and all that kind of stuff, you know, we'll sing carols in the living room and it'll be in multi-part harmony because that's what my family does. Of course. Uh, and, you know, so there, there are things like that, that that are really important. But if... If that's what it was all about, that would be just another day that I celebrate with friends and family. There are lots of days I can do that. I mean, you know, I can do that going to a sporting event. I can do that Fourth of July. I can do that Labor Day. I mean, I, I can just pick a day and, and go spend time with family and friends and have meaningful connections. What is so significant about Christmas is this idea that God is now with us, that the Lagos is now wrapped in flesh. He's real. He's tangible. He has experienced life like we've experienced. He knows, not just because he was our creator and knows, but because he has stepped into our shoes, he knows those things that we struggle with and that we deal with. And not only that, but he overcame them. He lived that life, yet chose not to sin. And so for me, I, I, love, I love the opportunity to, to be joyful. I love the opportunity to, to connect with family and friends, all this kind of stuff. But it's not the gift that's important at Christmas. It's not how beautiful the lights are at Christmas. It's not how you know, straight the bow on the packages. It's about being reminded that we have the ultimate hope that comes from Jesus. Well, that's wonderful. I think that pretty pretty much ties up our sermon from Sunday. If you want to watch the, the sermon from Sunday, it's on our Facebook page. We Facebook it live, uh, stream it, English, every Sunday morning at 10 p.m. a.m. Central Time is why I'm not in charge of things. <laughs> I hope you have a great week. Uh, this is just our second take at things, and uh, we know that a lot of times for things to be able to sink in, it's important for us to hear it more than once, so we'd love for you to check out that uh, video from this past Sunday. Also, we'd love for you to tune in with us this next Sunday as we talk about the next step of what's going on in this God with us story. God with us brings joy, and we're going to have a lot of fun with it, and I hope that you'll join us that day, too. 